Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Guys, we're going to be going, we're starting a new series today, we're going to call it Earth Walk. The Sacrifice of Jesus. If you've been with us, we've been in the Gospel of Luke. We've been looking at his earthly ministry. The first part of it we called Earth Walk, the life of Jesus, and we went to a certain point with his life. Then we went into a second point after a pause and looked, doing some other series. We looked at Earth Walk, the teaching of Jesus, and we finished that up last year. And so now we're going to get back into the Earth Walk. We're going to get back and finish up the Gospel of Luke from chapter 19 all the way to the end. And we're calling it Earth Walk, the Sacrifice of Jesus. Because from this point on, from verse 28 on, the whole focus of what the Gospel of Luke is about is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you and I and his resurrection. The sacrifice, what he went through for you and I and his resurrection. And I think this is probably a crucial time for all of us here. Because, you know, you and I can get to the place where... We kind of understand, yeah, Jesus died for me. Yeah, you know, he died so that I might have forgiveness of sin. Yeah, he rose again. And we kind of have that concept in our mind. We, we believe that. But we don't really, can I say this frankly? We don't really understand what he went through for us. We don't really understand the significance of all that took place. We don't truly grasp it. So much so that, you know, you and I could go for whole weeks without even what? Thinking about it. And really, to be honest with you, as a believer, that's not good. And so what we want to do is, is as we enter into this earth walk again with Jesus, and as we begin in this final section to look at the sacrifice of Jesus, my prayer is, is that for myself and for you, we're really going to start grasping what he did for us. We're going to grasp his determination for us. This is not just something that happened to him. He's not just some tragic figure from history. This is somebody who understood what was going to happen, what he would go through, and he went there willingly for you and I. And so we're going to look at that today. So we're going to look at verses 28 through 40 today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to look, read with me. And we're going to start with what I guess most of us know. We celebrated on Palm Sunday, which was just a few Sundays ago. We're going to look at the triumphant entry. So look at how Luke shares with us about this. Look with me at verse 28. And when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass that as he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into a village opposite you, where you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. 
And then they brought him to Jesus. They threw their clothes on the colt and set Jesus on him. And as they went, many spread their clothes on the road. And then, as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him in, from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Folks, what we're going to do here is we're going to basically take this, and we're going to see that with this, Luke is wanting to, and basically Jesus is, setting the stage. Let me help you to understand what Luke's doing here. For the first part, first 19 chapters, basically here's what Luke has done. Up to about chapter 3, we saw really, interestingly enough, the early childhood birth and the early childhood of Jesus, which was very little. We first saw very little there. But when we got to chapter 3, chapter 4, we begin to see the life of Jesus, which is about a three-year period from chapter 4 all the way up to chapter 19. Verse 27. He spent a lot of time covering various details in that three years in those chapters. Now when he gets to chapter 19, he's going to take the rest of the book and focus on seven days. You hear what I'm saying? He's going to take the rest of the book and focus on all the events of seven days. Why? Because those events of those seven days are significant for you and I. Because it's in those seven days that Jesus would ultimately go to the cross for you and I and die there for our sins. And what we see happening today in verse 28, I call this lesson setting the stage, we see that Jesus is setting the stage for what's going to happen. So if we take this passage, we can divide it into three sections. We can see, first of all, that number one, he's in control. Number two, we can see the entry. And then number three, we're going to see the response, the response of the people there to his entry. So let's take a look. First of all, he's in control. Verse 28, look at what it says there. And when he had said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. Look at verse 29. And it came to pass that as he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples. Here's what I want you to see. First thing I want you to see was it's time for Jesus to go to Jerusalem. The stage is set. Everything's in order. He has just spent three years teaching. And the time is now there for him to go to Jerusalem. The time is now there for him to go and accomplish what he has been sent to this world. The time is set. And when you get to verse 29, something interesting happens. Because it's not just a bunch of stuff that just happened to Jesus. So the triumphant entry just isn't something that's just happening spontaneously. We see in verse 29 that he sends two of his disciples to go. What's going on here? Jesus directs the events of his entrance. Jesus is the one who's directing the events. Jesus is the one who's allowing things to take place. So he says, I'm going to send you in, you're going to go into this village, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to go into this village, and you're going to see a cult there that's never been written. So you're talking about an unbroken animal. Now, how many of you, like me, loved westerns when you were growing up? Do you like watching westerns? I love watching. John Wayne, baby, okay? All right, that's the, I love watching westerns. Now, listen to me. And you remember some of the episodes when they'd have a stallion there that was unbroken? 
So, and you got that unbroken stat, and you see guys trying to ride it. What usually happens when they ride an animal that's not been broken? Thrown off. I mean, they get hurt, all right, because the animal's never been ridden. So Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to go into town, you're going to see a colt, a donkey's colt, and it's never been ridden, and you're going to take it. And here's what Jesus says. They're going to come out to you and say, hey, why are you taking my colt? Tell them the Lord has need of it. He's directing the events. He's directing the events. See, everything is for a purpose. Jesus is trying to do something with every move now in these seven days. So this is not just something that just happened tragically that we're trying to associate a meaning with. Jesus has a purpose in what's about to happen to him. And folks, let me just go ahead and write this. You want to put this down in your paper. The purpose was you. You need to grasp that. Everything from this moment on in this gospel is about you. It's for you that he's doing this. So he knows what he's doing. He's directing the events of his entrance. He's directing the events of what's going to take place. How do I know that? Well, remember, we can go a little bit ahead. If you want to, think with me a little bit ahead. He's in the garden. He's being betrayed by Judas. And he tells them, you know what, I could call down what? 10,000 angels, and they would come and take handle things. But did he do that? No. He let himself be taken. See, he was directing the events. Our God is in control. Jesus is in control. In fact, the next thing I want you to see is that he knows everything that will happen. Everything that will happen. Because they hear the, guy, the disciples go into the village. The scriptures tells us they see the cult. They go over to loose the cult. And guess what happens? The owners of the cult say, hey, what are you doing? Now, I want you to picture this, okay? How many of you, do you love your car? How many of you love your car? Raise your hand. You love your car. That's your car. You love your car. One guy, okay? <laughs> One guy loves his car here. How many of you tolerate your car? Okay, you tolerate it. Okay, everybody else tolerates their vehicle. All right. Now, even if you love it or tolerate it, let's say... You're in the kitchen, and it's parked out in the driveway there, and you're getting a drink, and, and you happen to look out, and these two dudes come along, and they get in, and they crank it up, and they're getting ready to pull out. What are you going to do? Okay, yeah, somebody's getting shot, okay. Because they're stealing your car, right? They're stealing your car, right? You don't do that, right? Okay, let's go back 2,000 years. Do they have cars back then? Do they have Chevy and Ford? No, 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 they're, they're grass burners. They eat grass. They're donkeys. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And so here, here's what I want you to see. The guy, they're taking someone's vehicle. Now do you understand? Why are you taking the cult? That's, that's, you're taking my car. What's amazing is that Jesus told him it would happen. And here's what Jesus said. You tell them the Lord has need of it. And they'll let you go. And guess what? That's exactly what they did. They let him go. See, Jesus knows everything that will happen. Nothing. See, you're going to have to grasp this reality. As we begin to go through these, finish up chapter 19, we get into chapter 20 and go on through every component of what's going to happen to him. From the upper room and the betrayal of Judas to Gethsemane and the agony of that moment, to the soldiers coming and taking him, to the trials that would take place, the beatings, the scourgings, going to the cross, being thrown into a tomb, rising on the third day. He knows everything that's going to happen. 
nothing's a surprise to him. Remember when he's in the upper room and, and Peter's there, you're going to see it as we go through this gospel. Peter's there and he's saying, Jesus, I die for you. Jesus says, Peter, before the morning crow of the rooster, you're going to deny me three times. He knows everything. Folks, let's just stop for a moment. Let's soak that in. He knows everything about you and I. Some of you have entered in here this morning, and I don't know what your week's been like. Some of you have had a good week, okay? It's been a great week. I wish I had next week's like this week. Some of you probably had a terrible week. Maybe you got an unexpected bill. Maybe the doctor told you something you didn't want to hear. Maybe there's a family problem. Maybe you got a loved one that's going through a health issue and it took an unexpected turn. Maybe work is not what it should be. And here's what can happen. We can get into the mode where we begin to think, okay, nobody knows what's going on in my life. He does. He does. If you go over Revelation and several of the letters there, there are seven letters. Every one of the letters, Jesus says this statement, I know your works. And, it's, and the word know there is, 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 is the word that means an intimate knowledge. He says, I know you intimately. I know what's going on in your life. I know what your struggles are. I know everything. Do you see, do you see what Luke's trying to do here with you and I as, he, as he's entering into chapter 19? He's wanting us to grasp that this is not just some pathetic figure from history. This is the God-man. The Son of God, the Son of Man coming. And he's going and he's directing the events. He knows everything that's going to happen to him, folks. He knows everything. He knows you and I. Because he's doing it for you and I. That's awesome. That just blows my mind. It should blow your mind. And so we see that he's in control. And so notice with me now the entry. Notice with me now. Look at verse 35, the entry. And they brought him, that is the cult, to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on the cult, and they set Jesus on him. Let me just go ahead and tell you right off the bat, it's already amazing, because we've seen the movies, we've seen people getting thrown by animals, this did not happen. It's like God is sitting on an animal, the animal's not bucking him. He goes on there, look at what it says. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Here's what's going on. A couple things here. Number one, as he enters in, he did not come as a conquering hero. He didn't come as a conquering hero. So because you know what? In their day, it's a little bit different today. You know, in our day, if you're a conquering hero, if you're a conquering general, you ride in on a tank. Did you know what I'm saying? You ride in on your force of your might. In their day, they rode in on a white stallion. The conquering heroes would ride in on a white stallion and show their might with their armies that they're in control. But Jesus didn't do that. He chose... A, a more peaceful way. He chose actually the way that Solomon chose to ride into Jerusalem when he was crowned king, on a donkey. I mean, you think about it. If you think about a, a giant, big, beautiful white stallion and a donkey, which one would you say is fitting of a king? But he rides in on a young donkey. Why? Because the point I want you to see is, is his purpose isn't to come do what we think we should, should do. See, because in their day, they thought that Jesus should come, overthrow the Romans, and everything would be okay. Wonderful. But that was not his purpose. His purpose wasn't to establish a kingdom then. An earthly kingdom. His purpose was to come and establish what? A heavenly kingdom. And the way to the heavenly kingdom was through the cross. 
He had a different purpose. So there he is. He's coming. And he didn't come as the conquering hero. But what did he do? He was fulfilling messianic prophecy. Everything that he's doing is in fulfillment of messianic prophecy. What do you mean? So, for instance, here's what Zechariah says. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt. A foal of a donkey. And here's what it says. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. He's talking about the Messiah here. So here's Jesus. He's coming in. He's coming in as the Messiah would come in. And you know what? They recognize it because guess what they're doing? As soon as that donkey starts moving, people are taking off their jackets and stuff and laying it out for the donkey to ride over. It was a sign of respect. This is what Jesus is doing. Everything he's doing is predetermined, preplanned. He's already told what's going to happen for you and I. So you say, okay, George, wow, that's great. So what do we do with this? Well, there's some things we need to think about here. Because what we're going to see in the last part is, is that there's three responses. And folks, the same three responses are happening today. Three responses. Look with me at verse 36. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Here's what I want you to see. Number one, some believed and rejoiced. We're going to see three responses here. The first response is, is some, some people grab a hold of it, they understand who he is, and they believe. And not only do they believe, because they rejoice, because they understand what's taking place. Now, they didn't completely understand, but you and I do. Some of them would still think, as some of his disciples will see later, still think he's going to bring the kingdom now. But we understand that the kingdom comes through the cross. But the reality is that some will look at this and they'll believe and they'll rejoice. But there's a second crowd there that I think most people fit in. And here's what I want you to see. Some went along with the crowd. Some went along with the crowd. They don't really know what's going on. They just know there's a big crowd and everybody's happy, so they're cheering too. Like, what do you mean, George? Well, okay. I know that in our church here we have some die-hard Steeler fans, right? How many of you would say, I'm a die-hard? I mean, I look at the stats year-round. I even got an app on my phone to tell me the latest news for the Steelers. Have we got anybody like that here? Okay, good. Nobody's got an app. All right. But you are die I mean, I know when we have Steelers season, I see all these Steeler jerseys in church. I know we have some die-hard Eagles fans here, or fan, okay? <laughs> okay? I think he does have an app. Do you have an app? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, number just stop for a moment. We recognize them as true fans, right? True fans. All right. Okay. Now, have you ever noticed that you know, you go through a season, it's a losing season. 
The true fans are still fans whether they're winning or they're what? Losing, right? I mean, they're true fans. Now, let's say we have a season, and it's playoff season. They, nobody really pays attention to the regular season except the true fan. And we get into playoff season, as we get closer, it really looks like the Steelers are going to make it to the Super Bowl. How many people become true fans then? Yeah, lots. I mean, everybody is like, wow. And then the Super Bowl, everybody's celebrating it. And then when the Super Bowl's over, nobody thinks about them again till the next time they go to the Super Bowl. But the true fan, he's studying the stats after the Super Bowl, trying to figure out who's going to be lost, who's coming back the next year. But everybody else is like, oh, we'll just wait for the next playoff season and hope that they make it. Now, what kind of fans are those? Bandwagon. Oh, I've never heard that. I've heard of fair weather. All right? This is what Luke's talking about here. There are some people who are just on the bandwagon. They're fickle. So as they're entering in, the disciples are cheering because they believe. They, but everybody else is cheering too because here's what I want you to see. In just a few days, those same fickle people are not going to be cheering him. They're going to be crying what? Crucify him. So they just went along with the crowd. Some believed. Some just went along with the crowd. There's a third group here. We see it in verse 39. It's the Pharisees. Some rejected. See, they understand what's going on. They understand the significance of him riding on a colt. They understand everything that's happening. And they, they, they cry out to Jesus and tell him, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. Because they don't like what's happening. And notice how Jesus responds to him and says, you know what, even if we did what we told you to do, these inanimate objects around me, these things without life, would cry out in praise of me if they don't. Why? Because the king, the son of God, was coming to Jerusalem. But here's the thing. They rejected. They rejected. You know, this is significant. I want you to think about it now, okay? We've got three different groups of people. Their responses are completely different. But it's the same Jesus, same miracles, same everything, same entry. Everybody's seeing the same thing, but there's three responses. Some believe. Some don't understand. They're just going along with whatever's happening. And some just flat out reject. Isn't that life today? Isn't that life today? You say, okay, George, how do we take all of this, setting the stage here, how do we take it all and we apply it to our lives? What can I take home today? Because I came here, what can I take home from what we're studying today? Well, i got two questions for you, and then I'll give you an action point. Here's the first question I want you to think about. As we think about Jesus and the whole issue of him going into Jerusalem. Number one, do you grasp who Jesus is? Do you grasp the reality of that? Do you? I mean, think about it. I mean, just from what we just saw today, just in this little passage, that's pretty significant. I mean, how many of you, like, okay, you're going to sit down tonight, maybe you're going to be sitting in front of the TV, and you're sitting there, and you got your sweetie with you, or, or your whatever, and, and, and this is what you're going to say. Oh, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go to work, and, and uh, I'm going to have clear roads all the way there, and when I get to work, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. This person is going to respond this way to what I said. This is the conversations that will take place. 
How many of you can do that? I mean, you think you know what's going to happen, but how many of you know exactly what your day is going to be like tomorrow? Anybody know? None of us know. There's no way for us to know. Even our, even those of us who try to orchestrate our days, you know, there are some of us who try to do that. We try to plan out every detail. You ever notice that? It never goes the way you want it to go. Why do you think we have plan Bs? Because plan A never happens the way it's supposed to. But here's Jesus. He's directing everything. He knows everything. Why? Because he's God. Do you grasp who he is? See, I think, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm talking about myself sometime. As a believer, when we get into the hubbub of normal life, we can lose sense of that. When we're dealing with the stuff at work, when we're dealing with the stuff of our lives, we can lose sense of the reality of who Jesus is. So do you grasp who Jesus is? Here's the other thing. What's your response to him? What's your response to him? Do you believe and rejoice? Or are you just going along with the crowd? You're just going along because this is your grandma's faith or your parents' faith. And usually you can tell when that happens. Why? Because let one terrible thing happen. Let one tragic event happen. And immediately you might for the moment be like, Hey, Jesus, I love you. But the next moment be like, Why are you letting this happen to me? Don't you love me? I'm angry at you, God. See, that's somebody who's just going along with the crowd. That's somebody who's fickle. That's somebody whose faith is not real. What's your response to him? Or, or maybe you're here and you're in that last group. You reject. No, you're quiet about it. But in your heart of hearts, you just flat out reject. There's no way. See, what's your response to him? So those are some things for you to think about. So, George, okay, what do we do then? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask God to do something for you. This, here's your action point. Here's what I want you to focus on this week. Ask the Spirit to reveal the reality of Jesus to you. Just simply pray this this week. Ask the Spirit to reveal to you the reality of Jesus. What am, what am I talking about here, George? I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to an aha moment. You know what I mean? You ever know what an aha moment is? You know, it's like... You kind of, it's like, you, you know, you, you kind of wake up sort of like, aha. I, you know, it's like, wow, I get it. So it's like, uh, you know, when I was dating Lori, you know, Lori and I are going to be married 20 years here in June. I started dating her 1991, so that's uh, 22 years ago. No, 22 and, 21 and a half years ago. At some point, I had an aha moment with her. What do you mean, George? At some point I had an aha, I think she's interested in me. Aha. You know what I'm saying? You, so you understand what an aha moment is, okay? All right. Some of us need to have an aha moment with Jesus. What do you mean? Well, some of us need to have an aha. Aha. You are who you say you are. Aha. You do care for me. Aha. You died for me. You've given me forgiveness, a new life. See, you've got to ask the Spirit to reveal the reality of Jesus to you. It's got to be, see, what we're talking about is more than just a belief. It's more than just some doctrine. 
We're talking about somebody who's alive. So ask the Spirit to reveal the reality of Jesus to you this week. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.